0: Welcome to Blind Date with Knowledge. This is a weekly half-hour talk show featuring Queen's University researchers and scholars. The show is a platform for Queen's researchers to discuss the significance to and benefits of their research on everyday lives. I'm Barry Kaplan, the show's host. Blind Date with Knowledge is broadcast on CFRC Radio, 101.9 FM, Campus and Community, Queen's Radio in Kingston. It's located in Carruthers Hall. All the episodes of Blind Date with Knowledge are available on the CFRC website or the Queen's University research website at queensu.ca slash research. Today, my guest is Tony Noble. Dr. Tony Noble is a professor in the Department of Physics, Engineering Physics, and Astronomy, whose research focuses on particle astrophysics and the search for dark matter. He is involved in the DEAP 3600 liquid argon experiment and the PICO experiment at Lab, both of which are looking for dark matter. As the director of a new research centre established from an award from the Canada First Excellence Research Fund, Dr. Noble is leading a group of scientists in answering today's most pressing questions in physics. Hi Tony. Hi. Thank you for being on Blind Day with Knowledge. I think this is going to be fun. I think so, too. Uh, well, let's begin. Astrophysics, particle astrophysics, dark matter, like, like, give us some context here. What are we talking about? Uh, Well,
1: this kind of grew out of a traditional field of particle physics, which uh, is aiming to just understand the basic properties of the most fundamental particles in nature, the things that make up all of the matter in the universe. Uh, Traditionally, that's been done at accelerators, but we also learned that we can learn an awful lot about not only the particles uh, by studying particles that are coming from outer space, but we can also learn a little bit about what's happening at the origin of those particles, We started, for example, with what was called the solar neutrino problem, which is what led to the snow experiment, where we were trying to understand, from my point of view, the particle physics was trying to understand the basic properties of a neutrino. Most people maybe haven't even heard of neutrinos. They're this tiny, fundamental particle. But they're actually one of the most ubiquitous particles in the universe. They're produced in every uh, radioactive decay. They're produced by the billions in the sun. In fact, there's a billion neutrinos going through your thumbnail every second. And yet, because they interact so rarely, they're very difficult to study. When it turns out using the sun, which is this prolific source of neutrinos, is a good way to do it. Um, And yet, on the other hand, there are people who are more interested in how does the sun work? What, What are the fusion reactions in the sun? And there was this huge problem that we calculated how many neutrinos we thought should be coming from the sun if we really understood fusion reactions. And what we were seeing on the Earth didn't match with expectations. And this was the solar neutrino problem that led to the snow experiment and the discovery of snow was that the neutrinos had some very weird quantum mechanical effect that they were born in the sun as one type of neutrino but they changed into another type as they traversed.
0: Let me jump in here. You've used the the acronym SNOW A couple of times and I don't think our listeners would know what that is. Can you explain that before you continue
1: it? Yeah, sure. So the SNOW actually stands for the Sudbury Neutrino Observatory and it is an experiment that was designed to address exactly this problem about what's happening with neutrinos in the sun. Uh, Uniquely Canadian because it had to be in a lab that was so deep underground. So at the time this was the deepest... uh, uh, underground facility in the world by virtue of having very deep mines in the Sudbury area. And that's a, a really interesting story of its own of why we have such deep mines there due to a large meteorite strike uh, hmm. uh, millions of years ago. Uh, and we had to have a special detector medium, which is heavy water, a type of... Uh, uh, of normal light water, but with an extra neutron in it. And Canada happens to have the world's supply of heavy water. And so the fact that we had the deepest mines and the heavy water and a mining company that was willing to tolerate a bunch of crazy physicists building a lab the size of a 10-story building two kilometers underground, led to SNOW, the Sudbury Neutrino Observatory, and then ultimately the discoveries of that, which led to the 2015 Nobel Prize.
0: Okay, so you've given us a little taste about neutrinos and the sun. So I have some idea of kind of the mystery of the physics and uh, what some of the key questions are. Tell us a little bit more about this lab and the actual experiments that you're doing. You mentioned accelerators, and how is the accelerator approach different from what you're doing now?
1: Right. So an accelerator can produce particles at will. But we have a huge mystery in the universe right now where we we like to take pride in the fact that we think we understand how the universe started as a Big Bang and evolved to where it is today. But there's a little secret is that 95% of the mass and energy budget of the universe, we actually have no idea what it is. The stuff that we are made of, the stars, the planets, people, and so on represents a very small fraction of the total matter in the universe. And we have no idea what the other matter is. And so we refer to this as dark matter because it doesn't produce light. We can see clear evidence that it exists because it influences the way stars move in galaxies and so on. So from the gravitational effects, we know there is something there, but we have no idea what it is. Now, one approach is to try and make it in an accelerator. You take particles to the highest energies, you smash them together and you look at the shards of materials that come out when they collide. And maybe one of those is a dark matter particle and you've created dark matter. But you don't know. You don't know it's the same stuff that pervades the universe that is in all these galaxies and so on. So you have to also... Try to measure the stuff that is in the galaxies by seeing it as it passes through the Earth, collide with your detector in a way that you get some signal that you can learn some properties.
0: Now, these accelerators—this isn't some little machine that sits on a desktop. This is like a—is this like a gigantic thing? Like, is, is CERN one of those? Uh, so,
1: CERN is the primary place at the moment, which is is uh, capable of doing this because they have the highest energies to take two protons to 99999999 know, percent of the speed of light and smash them into each other. And you're right, it's it's huge. It's a 27-kilometer diameter ring that goes underneath the Jura Mountains and uh, around the lake. It's half in France and half in Switzerland. And it's, uh, you know, the experiments there are absolutely phenomenally large as well typical um, ex- uh, experimental group there is about 3,000 physicists
0: for no, example. No, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, well that's not your research though. So tell us about your research right. and, what, and the lab in Sudbury. I mean you're two, two kilometers below the ground. It's a super clean lab. And right. So tell us about that. I mean that sounds yeah. fascinating. So, so although dark matter
1: is everywhere the reason we can't see is it is it interacts very seldomly. And so the probability of an interaction is extremely low. So what you have to do is first you have to build Enormous detectors to raise that probability that you see something. So our experiments tend to be in you know, a scale of many tons or thousands of tons of, of actual material, and yet because they're so rare, you can easily be fooled if you had some other little bit of radioactivity kicking around that the you know was high enough a rate that it, every now and then you made a mistake and you interpreted one of them as a dark matter interaction. So most of our effort is actually in getting rid of those tiny little traces of radioactivity. Now on the surface you may have done this uh, lay down on a beach with your eyes closed but you're still awake. You can see little flashes of Mm -hmm. light in your eyes. Those are caused by cosmic rays just going through you and on the surface of the earth we have hundreds of particles per second going through a very small area. And so on the surface there's just too much activity from natural radioactivity in the materials but also from this raining down cosmic rays and you would be fooled. So so the filter is two kilometers of rock. That stops the cosmic rays. But even then, when we get down underground, we still have a problem that we have all this rock which has radioactivity in it and normal materials. I mean, to put it uh, one way, when we calculated how much radioactivity would be injected into the snow detector from your fingerprint... Would be enough to destroy the experiment because mm. you are filthy, radioactive, uh, you know, and you're, the oil that comes out of your thumb is radioactive at the scale that we care about. So it's a clean lab, we shower, we get changed into clothes, everybody wears gloves, and we spend an inordinate amount of effort on designing new materials that are extremely low in radioactivity to build our detectors out of.
0: How is that stuff maintained? Uh, do you have special, specially trained uh, technicians to, to come in and uh, uh, keep the keep the lab clean and uh, launder these <laughs> these suits? Yeah, and, a- absolutely.
1: I mean, There's the staff uh, at Snow Lab, which is what we call the facility now. After Snow, we got uh, an award to expand the lab to do not just a single experiment, but to run many experiments. And we have a staff of about eighty people. Eighty with some of uh, whom are. Uh, Researchers, some of whom are technical staff, some of whom are uh, maintaining the cleanliness of the lab, which is actually a, a, a very important part of, of what we do. I would think it's a huge. But undertaking also, every thing. single nut and bolt that goes into building a detector, we measure its radioactivity, and so there's a whole uh, battery of. Uh, tools that we have underground to try and assemble all those uh, you know, to collect all that information so that we know that the detector we're building we haven't made a mistake and left a wrong washer in somewhere right, that is right. radioactive and that uh, uh, ruins things
0: Well your rigor about this is obviously paying off because you've got some serious money uh, to do some more research so yeah. that'll lead into my next question. So Queen's res- has received this major award from the Canada First Research Excellence Fund to create a center for research in particle astrophysics. Can you talk a little bit about, about what this is and, and what this award is and what the research projects are? We haven't really talked about that.
1: Yeah, so um, it's hosted at Queen's, but in fact, I, I'd like to stress the C in SPARC, which is this Canadian Particle Astrophysics Research Centre. It really is something where we are trying to build the capacity within Canada to really maintain ourselves as leaders in this field. Lab is a unique facility. It's the deepest clean operating facility in the world. And we have uh, the strongest teams at Queen's. We have uh, uh, one of the biggest groups in the world working on these problems. And so we are really at the forefront of the science and that was of course recognized by both the Breakthrough Prize and the Nobel Prize. And we have an opportunity to grow the capacity within Canada to do some really exciting experiments and to engage students. And a big part of what uh, SPARC is about is providing opportunities for graduate students, exchange programs, schools, and all sorts of things. So in addition, In addition to doing the research, we're providing uh, opportunities for students and all across Canada.
0: Let's end this segment by having you uh, connect the theoretical research that you're doing with how this might impact our lives as Canadians and humans in the world going into the next 20 or 30 years.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a question we get asked a lot. My interest is purely in understanding the universe and so understanding the basic properties of the particles in the universe. But that leads to a a huge understanding of how the universe actually works. How did the galaxies form? What is the fate of the universe? And so I think a lot of people are just interested in natural curiosity about how the universe works. That's what drives me, but at the same time, in order to get there, we have to build the technologies that allow us to measure radioactivity at extremely low levels. Now we're working with people who are doing trace analysis for monitoring for pollution in the oceans and the lakes and in our ecosystem and environmental impacts. So the technologies we develop have spin-off effects In all sorts of other places where medical imaging tools, for example, things like positron emission tomography led to the PET scanners that are common in hospitals. Um, And while that isn't my particular focus, that's a consequence of the research we do because we're always pushing the limits of technology to achieve new uh, sensitive uh, instrumentation.
0: Well spoken. One of the goals for Blind It With Knowledge is to demystify scholarly research and to personalize researchers. As a way of making that goal real for us, I ask every guest on the show to tell us a joke, recite a short poem or inspirational quotation, or reference a song related to their research. So, Tony, I'm going to uh, throw the microphone back to you.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is where they suffer a little bit. I I, I thought a little bit about uh, what some of my favorite jokes were, and I I thought I would pick one that uh, was first told to me by Art McDonald. Actually, as a way of trying to motivate the team a little bit, and I'm going to pick on my own students. Uh, I teach a class in engineering physics here, and the, and the the story goes: a young graduate has just completed his bachelor's degree at Queen's University in engineering physics and he gets his first job and he reports to the to his duty and and uh meets with the floor manager and says well what should i do and the manager looks around and he says well you know it's this this big complex machinery everywhere it looks all very exciting and he says well i i think i'd like to get you to start by uh just cleaning up a bit maybe you could sweep the floor for, for on your first day and the graduate is somewhat taken back and says, um, I, I don't think you understand. I'm a, a grad, you know, I've just graduated from a very illustrious program in engineering physics uh, from Queens University, one of the most uh, established universities we have here. And the manager looks at him and says, oh, uh, I'm sorry. Yes, I understand. Well, in that case, what you do is you put one hand on the handle here, <laughs> the other hand in the middle, and you push forwards. And why, why I like this joke is that it actually underlines a number of features about what we do. We talked about the importance of cleanliness and so on, but it's important that the people who work for us are really highly respected people and that uh, their part is every bit as much as important as the other person's and that you know it's a team effort to do these experiments and we have people who are scientists we have technicians we have cleaners we have just about everybody you can imagine in that group of 80 people that are going underground and they all play a very
0: fundamental role in
1: extracting the physics we do And so that's why I thought of that one.
0: That's a beautiful message. Thank you very much. My guest in this episode of Blind Date with Knowledge has been Dr. Tony Noble, professor and researcher in the Queen's Department of Physics, Engineering, Physics, and Astronomy. If you have a question about anything related to research that you'd like discussed by our guests, or if you have comments about today's conversation with Tony Noble, please email me, Kaplan at bdwk at cfrc.ca. Thank you for tuning in.